Let's pray. Father, I pray um, none of me but all of you. Give me utterance that I may boldly make known the mystery of the gospel. For your gospel is precious, for it is the deposit that we have. May we guard it with our lives. May we stand in worship of you, sit in worship of you as we dive into your word and allow your word to change us and to speak to us. The mighty works of God, the uh, revealing the characteristics of God and the attributes of God. We thank you for these things in Jesus name. I pray, Father, say this, say, Father, give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of my understanding may be enlightened, that I may know what is the hope to which you have called me to, and what are the riches of your glory, of your inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 is what we just prayed. Um, I encourage you to pray that over yourselves, specifically before you read the Bible. But throughout the day, pray that for us as a church. Pray that for me. Um, we want to know God. And that scripture deals with that the eyes of our understanding may be open and enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he's called us to. And, and also it begins out with that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. In the knowledge of Christ. So how many want to know Christ better? You should never stop yearning for Christ and desiring Christ. Even Paul who said, and I'm getting into the message, even Paul who said in Philippians chapter 3, he said that I may know him, that I may, um, I, I, all the things that have been gained to me, I, I count them as lost, that I may know the value and the excellencies of knowing Christ. And that should be our heartbeats as Christians, to know Christ, amen, to pursue him. I, I have to read that scripture before we get into the scandal of grace. Philippians chapter 3. I'm excited about Jesus, as you can tell, probably overflowing um, with just the thought of him, the thought of who he is, that he's just so awesome. And I just I'm so grateful for salvation today. I'm so grateful to be saved. I mean, and have a better understanding. When I said that prayer at the age of four, did not understand what I was getting into, did not understand the person of Christ. But I'm so grateful for a mother who prayed, who shared the gospel and prayed with me a prayer of faith that I receive the salvation that is only found in Christ Jesus. Uh, Philippians chapter three, Philippians chapter three, Paul is exhorting and basically giving his resume, sharing with us, uh, with this church, church at Philippi, um, of his accomplishments and verse 7, he says, after explaining who he is and what he has accomplished, he says this. But whatever gain I had, I, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I mean, know that whatever we have gained in this life, we should count it as loss for the sake of Christ. I mean, I, I mean, just the beauty of who God is in Christ, 
Let's continue. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let's stop here. Notice that some people, they count everything loss, but for other reasons. But here Paul is counting everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ that I may gain Christ. Last week, we talked about the coming glory in light of the false prediction of May 21st and October 21st as being the Lord's coming, that this coming glory is really Christ, the glory of God in face of Jesus Christ. That's who's coming. And then verse 9 says, Be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes... That, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. Everybody say that I may know him. In the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So not only is Paul saying I, that I may know him, I want to know this Christ. I count everything but loss, but that I may uh, um, know the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. The resurrection is talking about the resurrection of the dead that we talk about every Sunday in the Nicene Creed. And not only the resurrection, but also to share in his sufferings. How many know that that is something that we are called to, and it's through his suffering that we are conformed to his death? All right, so that's my little exhortation for the day. So let's go back to Mark <laughs> chapter 2. We're talking about the, the um, scandal of grace. Everybody say the scandal of grace. All right, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, and I'm going to, of course, our tradition here is to read the entire chapter. So um, let's start with Mark chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So Jesus had a home. Glory. <laughs> and many were gathered together so that there was no more room. Not even at the door. It's okay to have a house meeting. And he was preaching the word to them. Notice it says that he was preaching the word. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. After meditating this for several, several times, I noticed that Jesus called the man son. I thought that was amazing. Never saw that before. Verse 6. Now come, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? 
He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves and said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately and picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for they were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors? And sinners, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And on one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but for the priest to eat, also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Praise God to the reading of his word. So let's go back to verses 13 through 17. Verses 13 through 17. It says, and he went out again. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. 
And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for they were many who followed him and the scribes of the Pharisees. And when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So we're talking about the scandal of grace. Definition of scandal, looked it up in the dictionary, no mystery. Um, it just simply means behavior or an event that people think is morally or legally wrong and causes, public, causes the public feelings of shock or anger. Talk or reports about the shocking or immoral things that people have done or are thoughts are thought to have done an action, an attitude that you thinking is shocking and not all at all acceptable. And so in other words, it's a behavior event that people basically think says wrong. So we're talking about the scandal of grace. So my first point is simply this. Jesus calls Levi. Jesus calls Levi. First, it talks about in verse 13, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was, with, was coming to him and he was teaching them. So Jesus really taught people everywhere he went. He taught in the synagogues. He taught in the streets. So he had a strong teaching ministry. And he is an example or he is the model for ministry today. And what is lacking is the lack of teaching. You know, and so Jesus, we talk about the ministry of Jesus, the church of Christ. Part of the Great Commission is go into all the nations. Let me look at that. Don't want to misquote it. Matthew 28. Verse 19, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Notice this. He told us to go and make go and make disciples. It didn't say go and get people converted. <laughs> go and hold crusades and get them converted. It says go and make disciples. This is part of the Great Commission. How many know that's different than, you know, um, when we're thinking and we're praying about outreaches, outreach in Willenboro and how to reach people in Willenboro, and we say, okay, do we just go knock on doors? Back in the day, growing up under my youth pastor, we go knock on doors and we're just like, hey, do you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Oh, yeah, I do. You know, and you pray with them and that's it. And the person is left hanging. So they said a prayer and then that's it. There was no follow up. There was no. And then some people, they actually do follow up. But how many know that it takes time to explain the gospel and that we should not get in the habit of just let me just be quick to lead you to the Lord. In some cases, such as a, on a deathbed. All right. That's granted. You know, you have a short amount of time because they can die any minute. So explain the gospel as much as you can and then get them to affirm them with a prayer of faith. But we need to take time with people. And so Jesus, he was teaching the crowds. He wasn't just feeding them physically, but he was teaching them. So it says, going to make disciples, and it goes on the latter part of Matthew 28. It says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them. How many of this takes time to teach, to, to explain? So Jesus is teaching the disciples. So one of the ministries that's missing in today's church, I believe, this is my opinion, is the lack of teaching on basic, fundamental Christianity of who Christ is and his gospel. And that's, as, even as believers, you're not necessarily made to be called behind a pulpit, but you're called to teach others 
what you have. You can start a Bible study in your own house, in your workplace, and teach people the gospel. And as a teenager, I used to teach and have Bible study. I only knew a little bit, you know. I know a little bit more now, but just a little bit. I taught what I knew. Share what you know, and God will give you more. All right. So here, Jesus is teaching these this crowd. Verse 14, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, who is probably Matthew. It's probably Matthew, you know. Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. John Mark does this thing in, in the Gospel of Mark. He doesn't really give details. He just, like Jesus says, follow me. And all of a sudden you see immediately um, Levi just gets up and follows him. He's at the tax booth, which, you know, you can be looked at as a, a, um, like a, a toll booth, you know. It was, it was in a place um, between cities where people were able, um, were, had to come and pay taxes. So God from here, you can see that God is seeking the lost. He's seeking that which is lost, which is lost men and women and boys and girls. So he, he sought after Levi. He called him. He calls the unlikely. You know, here's a tax collector. Why didn't Jesus go to a Pharisee who went to school, who was educated in the Torah, and can explain the, the, um, the gospel according to the law, but then, but yet he's, he's going to a person who is not looked upon as being a righteous person. He's going after a nation that is not his own. He's breaking the barriers between sinners and saints and says, you know, I'm going after that which is lost. And so he calls Levi. Um, here's the grace of God. We're talking about the scandal of grace. Grace draws Matthew from the love of gold and makes him an apostle. That's grace. <laughs> he, he draws him from the love of money to the love of the gospel and makes him a messenger of this gospel. See, the love of money or the love of gold drew Judas away from Christ and his apostleship. And here's the grace of God drawing Levi or Matthew to him. There was much at stake when Levi accepted Jesus' challenge. See, fishermen could easily go back and forth, go back to fishing. And as we saw after the resurrection, that's what they did. You remember? Peter went back fishing. Oh, he's, he's alive. He's dead or whatever. I'm fishing. He went back to it. But with Levi, it was something different because it was this there were, there were little probability, a possibility of his returning to his occupation because tax collectors' jobs were greatly sought after as a sure way to get rich quickly. So when Jesus was calling Levi, he was calling him away from his comfortable state. He says, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. Leave off. So it's like, Wow. Levi was willing to give up. And in my, in my understanding, that was his way of repenting. Yeah. He, see, repentance is much more than a prayer. I'm guilty. You know, you must, oh, God, I repent. Just because you say you repent doesn't mean that you repent. 
<laughs> and we're going to talk about that after Mark. We're going to spend a season of just talking about repentance, what true repentance is. See, repentance is a change of mind and a change of heart that affects your change of lifestyle. It's not just, just praying a prayer, but it's actually with your action and God's grace empowering that change. All right, so let's continue. My second point is this. Jesus was hanging out with the lost, the broken, and the sick. How many know that's good news? Here's Jesus. He, he is God in flesh hanging out with a bunch of sinners. Mark chapter 2, verse 15, let's look at this. It says, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for they were many who followed him. Okay, notice this. This isn't Jesus' house. This is Levi's Levi house. Levi's house. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, but yet, from this scripture, we see that Levi is not the host. He's not the host. Jesus is. Jesus is hosting a feast, a celebration at Levi's house with his friends. This feast, this feast of Christ is an expression of his glory, of his gospel. Of course, one commentary suggests that this feast was probably Levi's farewell party <laughs> since he was leaving to become one of Jesus' disciples. Perhaps he simply wanted to gather his friends together so that they could have an opportunity to meet Jesus. The, this entire verse centers on the significance of the Messiah eating with sinners. And yet it reveals his willingness to forgive. Notice in the um, beginning part of chapter two, you see the paralytic and how the emphasis is not on the healing or the faith as Cleveland unpacked for us, but it's upon the forgiveness. And yet Jesus is demonstrating what he did for the paralytic with Levi and his friends, his willingness Eating and sitting at a table are basically intimate acts, especially in the ancient world. So if when you invite somebody over to sit down and eat with them, that's intimacy. And so here's Jesus being intimate with a bunch of sinners. He is getting in their mess and he is eating and fellowshipping with them. My second point under that Jesus was hanging out with the lost and broken and the sick is that he is found among a group that wasn't looking for him. They were not looking for him. Here you have the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders and the Jews who were calling out to God for the Messiah. And God turns around and says, you're seeking religion. You're trying to seek God so much that you miss him when he comes. I mean, there are people today who are seeking. You look at the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Islam and they're praying and they, oh, you know, they're crying out. Even the Jews who are at the at the, you know, at that wall and they're welling and they're crying out. But yet they're missing the Messiah. You can get caught up in your religious acts of your search for God that you miss him. You can seek so much that you miss Christ. I'm seeking God, but I miss him. You know, and here. He is found among a group of people who wasn't even looking for him. The holy intercourse of Christ with sinners, the redemption of the world, 
is here represented when Jesus eating with sinners. This is a picture of the incarnation. John chapter 1. You remember? Let's go over there. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Go back to Mark chapter 2, verse 15. So we, here we see a display of the incarnation among people. Here's Jesus physically sitting among unbelievers, sitting among darkness. The light of the world. And yet Jesus calls us the light of the world. And we're called to sit among darkness. Why? For the purpose of shining the light. Going into the marketplaces. Going into the workforce where the light of God can be seen. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If we all stay together in a, like a utopia and just us and no one else, then the world will never be saved. And so we have to take what we... See, the church is for the believer, but the marketplace is for the believers to go out. We're not just here to gather people. To, uh, we're gathering saints to equip the saints so they can go out and do the work of the ministry. So that we can share the love of God to the world. So we can share the gospel, the good news. And so here's Jesus hanging out and spending time with unbelievers. Where in your life right now where you can shine the light of God's glory in the midst of darkness? It may be in your family. It may be in your um, at school. It may be in um, your, your workplace. It may be playing basketball on, in the gym, or it just may be in your neighborhood. Are you connecting with your neighbors for the sole purpose of gain, gain, gaining some for Christ? You know, here's Jesus, the incarnation. The basis of table fellowship is the forgiveness Jesus offers as Messiah. It's almost, it's an anticipation of the banquet at the end of time. <laughs> this is a display of what's going to come. You see how the scriptures are all tied together? Yeah. Biblical theology is an overview of God's redemptive hum redemption of humanity all pulling together. You know, um, I, I got this from Tim Keller. He says, um, the Bible starts in a marriage and it ends in a marriage. <laughs> That's the beauty of the gospel. My third point is this. The religious are questioning the philosophy of Jesus. So let's look at this. Mark chapter 2, verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Notice this, that they didn't ask Jesus, they asked his disciples. Yeah. 
Why, he's eating, why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? Religion hates grace. Grace is greater than our religious minds. And the grace of God challenges us all the time. Here, God is eating with somebody who's not doing the law in order to win them. He says, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but he says, I'm going after the loss. Let's continue. My last point is this. Jesus declares his mission. Mark 2, 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He has been sent to save his people from their sins. Matthew 1 and 21. This is the prophetic word. He shall save his people from their sins. Here he is doing the very thing that was prophesied about him. My second point under that is that the mission of Jesus was to save sinners. I want you to see this. First Timothy chapter one, verse 15. First Timothy chapter one, verse 15. This is Paul talking and he's he's really sharing of his own testimony and how he was, a you know, was somebody who persecuted the church, but he did it with unbelief. And verse verse 15 says this. The, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What saying? This is the saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Here is God. Here's Paul saying that, you know what? The Jesus came. His mission was to come to save sinners. He didn't come to build up a house. He, even though he had a house, you know, he had a hole in it from after these people who <laughs> broke into it, you know, let down the paralytic. I'm like, you're breaking my house. Oh, what faith, you know, because <laughs> you, you have faith. That I'm not going to, you know, beat you up or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But you got faith. <laughs> hey, faith. He saw their faith. OK, you bad. Um, but then he turns around. He says, Christ Jesus, Paul, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says, look at my life. I am a prime example of what Jesus came to save. <laughs> so, so when reading this scripture and later on in your studies, you can see what he talks about. He was a persecutor and so forth. And he says, I am an example of the mercy of God. That he came to save sinners and I am the foremost I'm the least of all the apostles. I am a, I, I'm, the, I'm at the bottom of the list. And yet he saved me. Beautiful display of God's mercy. Jesus kept his mission before him. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about this. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So he kept in mind that, hey, I'm after sinners. I cannot get distracted with this life. You know, remember in Timothy, it says, um, be a good soldier, soldier in the Lord. Um, don't get caught up in the affairs of this life. You know, um, those who are called into this army, they, they cannot get caught up in what's going on. But their, their aim is to please the one who called him, called them. 
And so we have to keep that in mind. We may go into many different fields, but know that the aim of what we're doing is to win people to Christ. The more a man thinks himself righteous, the further he the further does he remove himself from Christ. I don't necessarily believe that Jesus was saying, you know, I didn't call the righteous, we're calling them righteous, but those who think they're righteous. I didn't call, come to call those who, th who think they're right with me, but I came to call for the sick. He's sitting with sinners, a group of people who weren't seeking him. He's found among the sick and not the well. He's found in the midst of people who didn't know that they needed him. And Mark just got finished speaking of the paralytic who needed healing. But Jesus gave him something greater than physical healing, which was the healing for his sick soul. He later gave him the physical healing. There's a greater healing. There's a greater healing than physical. And that's the forgiveness of sin. The punishment that we deserve to be wiped, wiped away with. Those who are sick are in need of the doctor. When dealing with people, we must see their sickness. We must see that people are sick and not just physic physically. My dad always taught me, he says, when ministering to somebody in the hospital, the first thing that you need to do is make sure they're at peace with God. That's greater than God healing them and raising them up. Jesus came to cure their soul of this sick disease called sin. He came to restore them to God and bring them to life, bring them life. He was wounded for our transgression. He took upon himself our sickness. He became a curse for us. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. He was bruised for our wickedness and our sins was laid upon him that we may receive his righteousness. Jesus received, thank you, Jesus received our sins that we may receive his righteousness. We, when we receive Christ, his good works that pleased the Father was imputed unto us. So when God sees us, he does not see us in our own righteousness. Jesus' fellowship with tax collectors and sinners and his condemnation by the scribes illustrate the radical nature of grace. The tradition of the elders justify a status quo of distinctions and erects barriers among people. But the gospel seeks to transform and reconcile by building a bridge between Jesus and human need. Jesus called Jesus call of Levi and dining with those like him is a perfect picture of Romans chapter 9, verse 30 and 31, which talks about the righteousness escapes those who seek to establish their own righteousness, whereas those who are too far off to hope for the righteousness of God are graciously granted. These men, scribes and Pharisees, were seeking to establish their own righteousness, and yet God's radical grace flipped it and revealed, said, those who know that they are sinners and recognize their need for me, I grant righteousness. In light of these passages, we see, we should keep in mind the following. Number one, God calls the lost. He calls the lost. Look at you and I. He called us. <laughs> we were lost. 
We weren't seeking God. We were all going astray. We were not trying to think. We were dead in our sins. We were in darkness. I probably say this scripture every single time I preach. He called us out of darkness. We were in darkness. We weren't even trying to pick up the phone. <laughs> I'm like, God, she what? Jesus, <laughs> you know, making fun of the, those who were, of the, who were saints. And yet God called us. He was found among us even when we were after him. So God calls the lost. In Philippians, we know that the interest of Jesus is the souls of men. So keep that in mind. Let that be a passion. Let that be a desire. Let that be a prayer. Let, you, let, let your prayers be filled for the souls of men. Let, let that be your prayer. God, I want to win some. I want to win them and snatch them from the diabolical um, wages of sin. I, I, I want to win them. I want them to understand the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Number two, our relationships are sovereignly given to us for the purpose of the gospel. All of our relationships are sovereignly given to us for the purpose of the gospel. God connects us for the gospel. He saved you. Now let you share this good news of his grace. Think about all your relationships, good, bad, and ugly. <laughs> They're all for the sake of the gospel. The family that you were born into for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> Look at the places that you work at for the sake of the gospel. Your friends that you, the people that you like who, who you know are not serving God, but yet God connects you with them so that you can win some. You're not going to win all of them. I mean, I don't want to mess with your faith. <laughs> but you're not going to win all of them because <laughs> Jesus didn't. Wow. He had Judas and he lost one. He had 12 disciples and he lost one. And if he can lose one, we can lose one. You know, So we cannot esteem ourselves. I'm anointed. I'll pray you in. Well, you can't pray your own self in. <laughs> Jesus had to pray us in. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. <laughs> He's ever living to make intercession for us. <laughs> so we, are, we can't take any credit of our own. So all our relationships are sovereignly given to us for the purpose of the gospel. Keep that in mind. Every relationship, every relationship. So how can you use what you know, understand the gospel, that you understand, the, the knowledge of the, of the gospel, your understanding, how can you use that to impact the relationships that you're in? How can I, my cousin over here, how can I draw them closer to Christ? My brother, my sister, how can, even if they're saved, how can I share the gospel with those who are saved? How can I help them to understand what this thing is all about? How can I allow this gospel to be seen in my life daily? The, more than my prayers, more than me told in the big Bible, but through my life. How can my life impact the darkness in their, their life? How can I have a life that blows darkness away. How can I have a life that people inquire of the hope that I have? Why do I want to serve the Jesus that's in your life? Because they see the grace operating in my life. Number three, religion cannot understand the grace of God. 
Number four, the spiritual sick needs, need the, needs the great physician. The spiritual sick. We got to look at people as, as they are. They're sick. When you hear people doing something, just says, that's a sick person. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you don't have to tell them. <laughs> like, oh, you're sick, buddy. You're sick in the mind. <laughs> you're sick spiritually. <laughs> I mean, sometimes people go overboard. Like, you're sick. You're just sick. Sick, sick. <laughs> Be careful of that. You know, you don't want to, you know. But I'm saying in your mind, oh, they're sick. They need the great physician. Like I do. <laughs> I need them. You know, I'm so lost without them. I, I need his healing grace. <laughs> I need his gospel in my own life. Daily. I daily take up the gospel to heal my own self. And I can share with others so they can get healed. The scandal of this story is this. That Jesus does not make moral repentance a precondition of his love and acceptance. Rather, notice I say repentance, a moral repentance. Rather, Jesus loves and accepts tax collectors, sinners as they are. They don't do anything in order to gain Jesus' favor, but because Jesus has loved them as sinners. He initiates the fellowship. That's powerful. He initiated this. We love God because he first loved us. <laughs> we weren't trying to love God, but he loved us first. Jesus communicates his word and deed that accepting and following him are more important than following the Torah. When sinners do that, they will enter the kingdom of God before the scribes and the Pharisees. In the table fellowship with sinners and tax collectors, Jesus scandalously asserts his own person over the Torah. That is the scandal of grace. Scribes came to enlighten, but Jesus came to redeem. The grace of God extends to and overcome the worst form of human sin and wickedness. That's powerful. Not that Jesus came to replace the Torah, but he came to fulfill it. But he says, you know, do you, do you not understand that the Torah testify of me? They, the Torah speaks of who I am. And we must keep that in mind. And this is the scandal of grace. Let us pray. Father, we're asking you, may we have a passion for your gospel. We, may we have a passion for your name. May we live our life in such a way that display the grace of God. May your grace influence our minds even now, Father. By faith, we receive this grace. Grace not only for salvation, Grace to serve, grace to stand, grace to receive, grace to be a witness. We stand in this grace. Father, we desire this above life. We want to know you. It's the grace that saved us. It's the grace that's going to take us to glory. It's that grace that we cling to. The scandal of your grace, your grace confronts our religious minds. We thank you, Father for the scandal of grace that is not like us, is not like our religion and our um, concept of who you are, but it is the very person of Christ that he came to dwell among men. We are in need of that. 
We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At this time, we're going to receive the Lord's table.